Welcome to Foundations of Pentecost, dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the Foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. This morning, we are going to be looking at John chapter 1, and uh, uh, the lesson is titled, The Word Became Flesh. We have been looking about how we received the written word of God. And uh, this morning we are going to be looking at the arrival of the living word of God. And uh, uh, you cannot separate Jesus Christ from the pages of scripture. Uh, They are inseparable. As a matter of fact, you will find not only Jesus Christ is not just something that is in the New Testament, but every page of the Old Testament as well deals with Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of Scripture is to tell us about Jesus Christ. And so, if you would this morning, turn with me to the very familiar passage in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we'll begin reading there as I uh, was working on my lesson and I pulled up my notes um, from Christmas. I noticed that I had a number of of times over the years um, used John chapter 1 at Christmas time uh, as as well as uh, other places. But uh, this is not a new place to to go to uh, talk about the Christmas story. And uh, then as well, we did a series on the book of John. And so, uh, of course, we covered this passage. So uh, there's uh, not probably not going to be anything that we have not heard before. But uh, I want to stir our minds this morning to remember some things. So let's look at John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, find 
the Christmas story in this one verse, and the Word became flesh. I love Christmas time. Uh, I love I love the, the stories that go with Christmas. I love the music that goes with Christmas. I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes we're we come and, and you know in church and, and, and we we try not to admit, you know, how carnal we can be sometimes with Christmas and you know, we we get up and we sing uh, oh come all ye faithful and, and and that kind of thing. But I gotta be honest. I enjoy hearing a good, good rendition of Jingle Bells. You know, there is nothing like flipping on the radio and hear, hearing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And I mean, I, I, I just love the Christmas spirit. I, I enjoy seeing all the lights and, and, and the, the celebration that begins to take place this time of year. I mean, I, mean, I enjoy hearing, hearing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. I mean, you know, it's part of the holidays. It's part of, part of our, our, our traditions. And, 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 we, and you know, I, I know there's some people that can't stand it, but it doesn't even bother me when Grandma got run over by a reindeer comes on. You know? And, and, and I had to download a new one the other day to my phone. I, I heard, it's, it may not be new, but I heard it for the first time this year. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. And uh, uh, don't tell her, but Lee bought Lynette a stuffed hippopotamus for Christmas. So, so uh, he he had bought that, and right after I heard that song, and so then I had to have the song because you know. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I just enjoy it, and and there there's nothing like reading and you know you know. Let's, let's face it, Some, sometimes we try to be so spiritual. And, but, but don't you enjoy the stories like It's a Wonderful Life? Or Miracle on 34th Street? Remember some of those old classics? And, 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 and we listen to some of that and, 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 and even, even watch some of it. And, 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 and we enjoy it. It becomes... And then, and then, and then, you know, you sit down and read, "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And then somewhere in all of our Christmas traditions, as we're going through, we begin to sing Silent Night. And we flip to Luke chapter 2. And we read, and it came to pass in the days of Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or that he I'm mixing it all up there, but we know this story. But you know what has happened? We've mixed the story in with Rudolph and Frosty. And it's just another one of the tales about Santa Claus. The difference is 
It's a wonderful life. It's a made-up story. Yes, there was a Saint Nicholas. But what Santa Claus has become is not who Saint Nicholas was. There's not a Santa Claus. But there was a baby that was born in a manger. And it is more than just a story. Like the one songwriter said, He is the King of glory. And I am glad that I know who Jesus is. And so I want us to look at some aspects of this story this morning because it is such a wonderful story and, and such a great story, but it's not just a story. It is the truth. It is history. It is what really took place. And it is history that makes a difference in your life and my life today. There are some things in history that makes no difference. What I wore to work yesterday is part of history. But you know what? It doesn't matter to one of us. I'd really have to sit and think, and I'm not sure I can remember what shirt I wore yesterday. But the fact that Jesus was born makes a difference to everyone in the world. And some people say, well, I don't believe that story. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It still makes a difference to you. Because as we're going to see later on, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if, if it does not matter whether you want to believe the story to be true or not, if you want to live your life as though it has no bearing on you, that is fine. You can do that. But one day you will face him in eternity. And so the first thing I want us to, to notice as we, as we look at this uh, story, we notice in, in uh, uh, verse 14 here of John 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld His glory. I want us to look at the glory of the manger. It is a fascinating story, the story of the nativity. We talk about the, the scenes and, and we have our ideas of, of a nativity scene and, and they're probably all incorrect and all wrong about, about how it really happened. But we, we have this, this idea of, of Joseph and Mary there and we bring the shepherds and because we don't read the scripture good and we don't notice that, that Jesus was uh, uh, somewhere, he was under two years old, but they were already living in a house when the wise men come. And so so Herod had everyone under two years old killed. So, so that means Herod thought he could have been as much as two years old old by that time and and so but we don't pay attention to all that and so we put the wise men at the nativity scene and that's okay because they do have have a part of the story it's just not at his birth and so we put all that together and there is a glory. We look at Matthew chapter 1, one of the, uh, one of the places that we read about the birth of Jesus and, and beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. As we look at John chapter 1 and the glory of the manger, it starts out by saying, In the beginning was the Word. At the first was the Word. This, this, this word, if you go into the context of, of the originals, you find that, that it's not saying that he was created at the beginning. It's not saying uh, all of a sudden God came on the scene. He said at the beginning of time, God was already there. And Jesus Christ, who is the word, he was there with God the Father. And, and so, so from the beginning of time, Jesus was there. He is God. He is deity. And we find that God was already there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was God. Sometimes we, we confuse things. Now understand, I believe in the Trinity. There is a Father, a Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the three make one. But sometimes because we believe in the Trinity, we forget and we almost separate them too much because there is only one God. See, the disciples said to Jesus, they were beginning to understand, they believed Jesus was God. Uh, they, they were beginning to understand that. And yet at the same time, Thomas asked in John chapter 14, said, he said, show us the Father and, and it will suffice us. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so, so Jesus was the image of God that we see. And, and, and the, 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 the essence of God. So when we think of God, we are thinking of Jesus Christ. Because we see who God the Father is because that Jesus Christ lived on earth to show us the Father. So Jesus Christ was born in a manger and he came and he lived a sinless and a spotless life because... He was God. If you look at verse 3, it says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made 
that was made. We find that this babe in the manger was the creator of the heavens and the earth. It is, it is glorious because here Mary was rocking in her arms the very individual who spoke the worlds into existence, who spoke the stars into existence, who spoke the sun into existence, who created the earth, who formed the earth with his hands, who created the animals and who created mankind to have fellowship with him. By him are and were all things created. And so he is worthy of all of our praise and all of our exaltation and all of our worship. And that's why the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, peace, uh, goodwill to all men. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. It was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It was the creator of the universe who was lying in that manger. And it is glorious. And sometimes we stop and talk about and we're going to see that more in a little bit. We'll talk about it. We talk about the, the, the humble beginnings of Jesus Christ and it wasn't really his beginnings but the humble birth of Jesus Christ. And we talk about the, the fact that there was no room in the inn and that he was born in a, a manger and, 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 and first of all uh, first of all it, it it wasn't as uncommon for that day as we sometimes picture it. Okay, we're used to going to the hospital and, and, and in a sterile room, uh, the baby being born, and, and, and you know, it, it didn't happen that way back then. He wasn't the first baby to be born in those kind of conditions, and he wasn't the last baby to be born under those kind of conditions. That wasn't what makes this story great because he was born in a stable. That's not what makes it great. What makes this story so amazing and is that there is a glory because God became flesh. The creator of the universe was laying in the manger there. It was God with us. When we quoted and read from Matthew chapter 1, we find that he says, and he is quoting from the book of Isaiah, he says, His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. It was not just another great teacher that came on the scene that day. It was not just another prophet that came on the scene that day. It was not another John the Baptist. It was not another Elijah. It was the King of Kings. It was the Lord of Lords. It was God in human flesh. We read from from. Greek mythology and, and, and some of these things about, about the, the gods in human form. And we read about how, the, how that they took on human form and came to earth. And even, even scripture references the belief of some of, some of the idolatrous people when, when they mistook Paul and Barnabas to be Mercury and, and, and Jupiter and, and, and mistook them to be gods. And, and, and so the idea has, has permeated throughout uh, history of God coming in human form and appearing to man in flesh as though he were a human. And the reason that Satan has perverted these stories is because God actually did become flesh. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of the universe, the ruler of heaven and earth, our Savior 
became one of us. He laid aside his deity. How did it happen? I don't understand it all. The Bible tells us and scholars have, have studied it over and over and, and talks about what we call the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world becoming flesh. But our mind cannot grasp how that the Son of God became man. Because see, he did not become man and lay aside his deity. He was still as much God as he ever was. Now he restricted some of his attributes as God so that he could be man. But that was by his own choosing. It was not that he was no longer God. But he chose to be in one place at one time in a body rather than being omnipresent or present everywhere at once. He chose to be present at one place at a time, confined to a human body. He chose to be. Now, it wasn't God living inside of a human body. And that's what gets us so, so amazed. And so it was God in flesh. He was totally man, but he was totally God. When you get home today, think about that for a while. Think about it till your head starts to spin. And you'll never come to, to, to fully understand it because we are talking about something that is beyond our ability to grasp. Not only do we see in the story of the nativity the glory of the manger, but then we see the humility of the manger. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you ever have been to Hodgenville, Kentucky, go to Hodgenville, and there is a national park there. In that national park, there's a museum. And then there's another building there in that national park. And inside that building is a little one-room log cabin. That lit, I mean, it's, if you've seen it, you know, it's little. We've probably got Sunday school rooms that are bigger than that log cabin is. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I know my bedroom is is probably two or three times, if not more, the size of, of that little log cabin. I mean, it's, it's little, but it has been preserved because there was a little baby that was born in that log cabin. Dirt floor, cheap. I mean, just a simple little log cabin. Of course, I know several of you already know who the individual was that was born in that log cabin. 
Because that little baby grew and learned. Could I, could I, could I liken it to, to a scripture? He, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. So much so that he became the 16th president of the United States. None other than Abraham Lincoln. An amazing story of rags to riches who, of a man who ended up giving his life for what he believed and for the United States of America. But did you know we're not talking about a president. See, Sometimes we are gripped by the story of the nativity because it has all of the elements that the story of Abraham Lincoln does. He started in poverty. He grew to fame. And then he was wrongly and unjustly killed. But so was Abraham Lincoln. What sets this baby in a manger with his humble beginnings apart from any other lowly start that a person has. He had a humble beginning, but it is not just a rags to riches story. Matter of fact, and we, we've already covered it, but first of all, it wasn't rags to riches, it was riches to rags. He began as God. But the Bible says that he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant. He laid aside the privileges that he had as God, as creator of the universe. Not only, he didn't do it because his father said, now look son, I want you to go down to earth because God is one. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are in total agreement and total unity. And just as it was in the mind and heart of the Father when, when the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our own image and they created man, when it was in the heart and mind of the Father that the Son would go and give his life for a sacrifice, it was in the heart and mind of the Son as well. It was the plan of God, and it was voluntarily that Jesus humbled himself and came and was born in a manger. Now, a lot of times we think of the humility of Christ and, 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 as the fact that he was born in a manger. He was born in a stable. He was born in a barn, you know. Uh, something's happening in the barn, and we, 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 we talk about how, how lowly of a beginning he had. But the humility of Christ was not that he was born in a manger. The humility of Christ was that God Almighty became a man. He became human flesh. He became just like you and I. He did that. One of the things that we must realize as we look at how he humbled himself is 
the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians there, in chapter 2, the verses just prior to where we started reading says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And then you get to verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Let this mind be in you. He humbled himself to be our example. He humbled himself and just as he humbled himself, you and I are to humble ourselves. Sometimes we have false impressions of what it means to be humility, to be humble. Did you know Jesus Christ received praise as God? That's not what it meant. Sometimes, sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm going to hide my talents and my abilities. I'm going to hide what God's given to me because after all, we're supposed to. No. We use what God has given us. We use our abilities. We are who God made us. We don't want, humility is not trying to be something that we are not. That's hypocrisy. But humility is when we do not think of other things as being beneath us. See, so many times, how many times is it easy for us to look at someone else that we consider maybe not as bright as we are? Maybe they don't have the social standing we do. And it doesn't matter. If, if, if you are living in the most elaborate mansion or if you're living on Skid Row, the man on Skid Row does it just as much as the person that lives on Park Avenue because we have a tendency within us because of our fallen nature to always try to compare ourselves with somebody that's not as well off. And the Bible says, let this mind be in you who humbled himself. Not only did Jesus Christ become a man, but he stooped so low as to get down and wash the feet of those filthy, stinking disciples. I mean, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, only a slave would do that job. You know, he's supposed to be a king. Don't you think he would at least... You know, say, a servant, wash these men's feet. You know. Matter of fact, if we look at it, we find his disciples kind of had the attitude of Jesus. Peter did. He said, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Peter wasn't saying, don't wash my feet. Let me do that. That's not what Peter was saying. Peter was saying, uh, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Get that little slave girl over there to come wash my feet. But the Bible tells us that he came to be our example. We are to walk in humility. We look at the glory of the manger, and it's so glorious. And then we see the humility of the manger. 
how that Christ, God, the Almighty, humbled himself and came. But then we must look at the purpose of the manger. God did not just come and dwell among men for no reason at all. There was a purpose for his coming. There was a purpose for the manger. If we go back to Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is disturbed because he's received news that the young woman that he is engaged to, be married to, is with child. He is perplexed because he knows that it is not his child. He has heard the story, probably, that Mary has told about the angel appearing to her. And telling her that a bird, that she would conceive even though she had not known a man. But Joseph <coughs> thinks in himself, that just doesn't happen. It's never happened before. It's never happened since. But Joseph is thinking it's never happened before. It doesn't work that way. Everybody knows that for a young woman to become expectant, she has had to be involved with a man. Mary has not kept herself pure for Joseph. That's what he's thinking. Now, we know that's not the case. But Joseph doesn't know that yet. And so, Joseph is a just man. He doesn't just, he doesn't just jump to conclusions. He weighs this out. What is the best way to handle this? How do I approach this? How should I do this? What is God's will for my life in all of this? How do I proceed? How do I do it rightly? How do I walk upright? How do I maintain my integrity before God? And as Joseph is contemplating these things, an angel of the Lord appears unto him in a dream and reveals to him that what Mary has said about the child is indeed true, that she is still a virgin and that that which is in her is of the Holy Ghost. And he says, this is that which was prophesied in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and his name and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. says they called his name Jesus for he would save his people from their sins yes the angel said in verse 21 says uh, says 
She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. The reason he came, number one, is to save us from our sins. We were in bondage to sin. We were bound by our sins. Man cannot free himself from sin. We may can turn over a new leaf. We may can make changes within our life, but we are still in bondage to our sin. But Jesus Christ came that we might be saved from our sins. The familiar passage in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came to save us from our sins. He came that we might have salvation that we might be saved from our sins. And did you know our salvation from our sins isn't only in eternity, isn't only in our, hev in, in our heavenly home. We are saved from our sins. Now we have been released from the bondage of sin. We have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Then we find... Uh, uh, the Bible says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We were doomed. We were on our way to hell. We were under the judgment of God, for all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to our own way. But Isaiah goes on to say, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He is not willing that we should perish. He does not want us to perish. But he came to save us from our sins. He came that we could be redeemed. He purchased us back to himself. He had created us. He had made us. But we were in the possession of the enemy of our soul. We were in the possession of Satan. We were no longer under God's control. And so he came to buy us back. He came to redeem us. He came to purchase us once again unto himself. Why did he do that? So that he could restore our fellowship with him. Because when he was... When, when Adam was created in the garden, he came and walked with Adam. He talked with Adam and he communed with Adam. And so he came and was born in a manger to save us from our sins and to restore our fellowship with him. And that is why that we can sing, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known the fellowship that was lost when Adam and Eve fell in the garden has been restored and we can have sweet communion 
and sweet fellowship with God Almighty. We can talk to Him on a daily basis. We can commune with Him. We can worship Him. We can adore Him. He can speak to our hearts. We can read His Word and hear His voice as we read His Word. We can sense His presence in our life. Why? Because that baby came to restore our fellowship. He saved us from our sin. He restored our sin, or restored our fellowship. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He came to restore that fellowship. And then, last of all, he came to give us eternal life. He came to bring eternal life. Adam and Eve's sin in the garden had brought death upon mankind. Because of Adam's sin, all men died. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We don't sorrow as those that have no hope. He says... He says, because we have eternal life. There is life beyond the grave. Ten years ago this morning, I went over to Mother and Daddy's house. There was a home health nurse coming that morning to... begin caring, helping care for daddy there in the home. I walked in the door. It was almost time for the nurse to arrive. And everyone was asleep. Mother and Ilana had fallen asleep on couches and chairs there in the living room beside daddy's hospital bed. Daddy hadn't been sleeping much. So I quietly woke them up so as not to disturb him. Told them, hey, it's almost time for the nurse to be here. They got up quickly, went to the other rooms to get dressed for the day and, and uh, clean up. And I turned toward the bed and realized that at some point in his sleep, he had gone from this life to the next. But you know what? And, and I have to admit, it's being the 10th anniversary has brought some emotion. Sent Ivana a text early this morning. But I wouldn't have it any other way. If I could bring him back, I wouldn't. I thought about this as, as I thought about Sister Martin's passing. And sometimes with him. Because you know what? He's in the presence of the Lord. No more temptations. No more struggles. No more trials. You know what? I'm still striving for the day I don't have any more temptations. 
I am still striving for the day that I don't have to deal with any more trials, that, that I don't have to battle the enemy anymore. I mean, I'm looking forward to the day that I can be in, the, not just to feel God's presence come down here on earth, and that's glorious, and that's wonderful when we sense God's presence, but I am looking for the day that I am actually in the very presence of God, that I can look into the face of Jesus Christ, that I can see his nail-scarred hands, that I can be in full realization. Now we see through a glass darkly, Paul said, but then we will see him face to face. And I am looking forward to the day that I can behold his glory face to face. And I would not call anybody back from heaven to go through these troubles and trials again. Because they have made it. We don't sorrow as those that have no hope. We have hope. Because that a baby was born in a manger, we have hope. Isaiah prophesies about the coming of the Lord. He tells us about the coming of Jesus Christ. I, I think it's chapter 40, maybe. He says, he says, every hill will be made low. Every, every, every valley. He, he talks about the, the preparation for the coming of the Savior and, 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 and actually prophesying of John the Baptist. And so there was a man that decided to paraphrase this chapter. You may have heard of it. Frederick Handel. He decided to paraphrase this and set it to music. So he began to take this passage and paraphrase it into what we know as Handel's Messiah. And as he began to write about the coming of the Messiah and about the baby that was going to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, he began to get so excited. And as you listen to the music, it begins to intensify and it comes to the point that he says, Joy to the world! The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Let heaven let heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love. Oh, and he got so excited by the time he got to the end of writing Joy to the World. He breaks out and the music begins to crescendo and it gets louder and it go, goes into what we know as the hallelujah course. And they just begin to proclaim, our Lord God omnipotent reigneth forever and ever. Hallelujah, forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He reigns forever. He is no longer a babe in a manger, but he reigns. Our Lord God reigns. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. God, we worship you. We magnify your name. We lift up your name. For you are holy. You are righteous. You are the almighty. You are the omniscient. You are the omnipotent. All glory and honor and praise and worship belong to you, O oh God. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.